0: the end of chapter 3, Jesus said there in verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my Father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Lord is so radical, and how much He loves us. The Creator of all and everything loves His creation. And actually, when He made us, He made us in His image, and He made us to fellowship with Him. And He loves you, and He wants to do that very thing. He wants to fellowship. And today, when we fellowship, it's usually around some food. Better the food, the more of it, the better the fellowship. I don't know why it is that way. And in these days when they ate, it was a long time to eat. They didn't have any In-N-Out burgers or McDonald's where you could quickly eat. They just didn't do that. It was a very long process. And this is what the Lord's saying: I want to spend time with you. And so, if someone said, "Let's go eat," in those days, it was a real commitment of a few hours that you were going to sit there and spend time with that person. And uh, you didn't eat with somebody you didn't like because you're going to get stuck with them for a long time. And so if you have an associate, if you have an association or a person that you're willing to do business with, that's one thing, but you wouldn't want to eat with them in those days. So if some guy's trying to sell you something, you wouldn't say, hey, well, let me take you out to lunch and let me present this packet to you. And No, in those days they wouldn't do that, no way time to eat is a time to enjoy, a time to spend with somebody that you just want to get to know better and you want to enjoy time with. And so when the Lord says that he wants to come into your life, and the analogy there is to sup with you or to eat dinner with you. In other words, I want to be a part of you. I want to be a part of your life. And in those days, they believed that when a person ate, of the same bread, or of the same food, they were one with each other. So let's say we had a hunk of bread there, freshly baked, and I reach over and I take a piece of that bread off and I eat it, and it's assembled into my body, and it becomes a part of my body, and it gives me energy. in the same way, you take of that same piece of bread and you eat it and it becomes a part of your body and becomes energy in your body. Well, we've actually become one to that piece of bread. And so, this is why the Jews would never eat with Gentiles because they would become uh, a part of them. They'd be a part of each other because they ate of the same loaf. And this is what God's saying. I want to be a part of your life. And we find in John 17, He says that I would be in you and you be in me in a perfect unity. God loves us and He wants to come into our life. And I can just imagine someday, I mean, my kids now, I they just love to sit on my lap. Today we're going somewhere and Paul and Rod who are missionaries spoke here last Sunday night and the kids oh I want to sit in their lap you know it's so just jump up there you know they can't sit in mine so I'm driving only when we're out in the country do I let them do that so every time we get out in the country they say dad we're in the country can I sit in your lap and they help me drive and stuff but there's something about sitting in somebody's lap that is so healing even now I go sit in my dad's lap practically kill him but there's just something about that. Of course, when you're younger, you know, you, kids, they just really mess me up. You know, they grab my ear and they grab my hair and I feel sorry for you guys with beards. You know, I just think it's like, ah, ah, ah. You're trying to talk and the kid keeps pulling your beard out. It's fun. Kids are a blast. And Jesus says, man, we're going to be sitting there on his throne with him just like a child in the arms of their father. So we're just going to jump up on our Heavenly Father's lap and just be there with Him forever and ever in a place of no pain, no sorrow, no suffering. We're going to be with the Lord. In Ephesians chapter 1, he talks about, you don't need to turn there, but Paul had some radical revelations and he actually says, man, I hope you guys... And the church experienced these things. He says, That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling and what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of His power towards us who believe, according to the working of His mighty power. And he goes on and talks, of how he just desires for us to have a revelation of Jesus Christ and a revelation of his power and of his glory and of being with him. And in Revelation chapter 4, that's exactly what happened to the Apostle John. He says, After these things, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I'll show you things which must take place after this. Now, if you'll notice there, at the beginning of verse 1 of chapter 4, in the end, after these things, and then after this, it's a word, metatauta, in the Greek. And back in Revelations chapter 1, we also saw this word in verse 19. Revelations chapter 1, verse 19, he says, Write these things which you have seen, and the things which, uh, the things which are, and the things which take place after this, metatauta in other words things in the past things that have been seen the things that are and the things after these things and as we looked at the things that had been we saw the revelations of Jesus Christ but then we go into chapter 2, 3, and 4 talking about the things that are referring to the church and the church age and so when we look at the things that are after this what is it referring to? He's referring to after the church age. So I believe at this point, before we start getting into chapter 4, the rapture of the church has taken place. And so after the revelations God gave to him concerning the church and the different types of people in the churches, and of course it can also be the different ages of the churches since Christ has left the early church and the medieval church and the church of the present, the Laodicean church. Different angles to look at that. But after these things, after the church age, he saw what would be taking place in heaven. Now, some people get the rapture of the church confused with the second coming of Christ. The rapture of the church is the snatching away of the believers before the tribulation period comes. The second coming of Christ is not till the end of the world, at the end of the tribulation period. And we as Christians will actually be coming with Christ in His second coming. And so we're not really looking for the second coming of Christ, as Matthew 24 talks about. We're looking for the rapture of the church. And we find this talked about in detail in First Thessalonians chapter 5. If you want to turn over there. Starting in First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. He says, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. So, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, he says that there are people who aren't Christians and they see their loved ones died who don't know the Lord. Well, there's no hope. And there really is no hope. We just had a funeral last night and then today, Borrella Silvers, who Christian in our church, 37 years old, just died of leukemia. Radical experience. But it was awesome. I mean, as sad as it is to us that she's gone... It's a joyful thing for her that she's with the Lord. But one of the missionaries, Rod, asked me, he goes, Man, how do you do a funeral for somebody who's not a Christian or who doesn't have Christ in their life? And I said, Man, it's just the hardest thing in the world because there is no hope. And especially if the relatives are Christians, they know that their loved one is spending eternity in hell even as we speak he's in a place of torment. I was talking to a Jewish brother and had a tape and I listened to it and he was saying how he had come to the Lord and a few weeks later his dad died. And as he had come to the Lord he began to understand about hell And every time he read the Bible, he realized that that's where his dad was. Such a sobering and unbelievable thing to just think about. Spurgeon said that he could do away with all the Bible schools if he could just simply grab a person who wanted to be in the ministry and dangle them over hell for a few minutes and then put them on the streets of London. That they wouldn't need to know anything. All they'd need to know is what hell's about and to go tell people like Jonah did in 40 days comes destruction, hey there's a real hell, I've seen it, I've sensed the heat of it and the torment of the place and the absence of the presence of God believe me, repent and turn to God and be saved so we have hope and in verse 14 of First Thessalonians chapter 4, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again Even so, God will bring with Him those who sleep in Jesus. So, notice there it says, He will bring with them those who sleep in Jesus. Referring to the second coming of Christ. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will... Will rise first, or literally, it's 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 a word for a, um, standing up when it's referring to rise. It's not referring to rising from the dead. It's referring to a standing up position. And he goes on to say, "Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord." Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So those. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But at one time, when the rapture of the church comes, we're immediately caught up together. And those who have died in with the Lord now aren't necessarily in their new bodies. But at one time, we will all receive a new body. And at one time, we'll be together with the Lord. And uh, he goes on in chapter 5 to say, But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren... You have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night, and when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore let us not sleep as others do, spiritually referring But let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep are spiritually just going through the motions, not really living for God. Sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love as the helmet of hope of salvation. Notice this, verse 9, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another just as you are doing. Now, if you look back in chapter 4 and verse 17, he says, Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. The word there, caught up, in the Greek literally means to grab violently. To grab somebody violently. So if a car was coming and you have a hold of your child's hand and you see my goodness the cars coming right and you just grab them really quick. It's like you may cause a little jerk to their body or may snap their little neck but you know you're trying to protect them and get them out of the way real quick. Now in the Latin translation of the Bible the word there is rapturus. Again the same meaning to grab violently and from that we get the word Rapture. We are going to be snatched in a twinkling of an eye by the Lord before the tribulation period. God's not appointed us to wrath, but to salvation. And we see there in the story where the Lord tells Abraham, I'm getting ready to do this story, God of Gomorrah, and he says, Hey, you know, and he starts naming off numbers. If there is 50 people, would you destroy it who are righteous? No. Well, if there were 40, if there are 30, Lord, don't let me push you, but, you know, hey, if there were 10, would you? And God says, no, I wouldn't de- destroy the place. I would not put my wrath upon a spot of earth where there was a righteous person. And the tribulation period is not a spot of earth of God's wrath, but it's the entire earth is going to experience God's wrath. And so therefore, a Christian or a righteous person cannot be in any spot on planet earth because God takes and removes people before His wrath comes. And so if you're a Christian here tonight, we're going to be snatched away in a twinkling of an eye. There's a postcard I've seen and it has these cars crashed in the freeway and you know, it uh, has a guy waking up in the middle of the night looking over and his spouse is gone and... Uh, all these different things of what it would be like in the rapture of the church. And it's going to be true. We're going to, just as the news has been reporting, the hurricane that's hitting Florida, every time I see those pictures, I'm like going, this can't really be happening. Look at that. It looks like a trash dump. Look at all the houses and just scattered garbage everywhere. But yet it's an entire coastline that's been devastated. And you're just looking at that going radical. It's just almost unbelievable in the same way. If you're not right with the Lord tonight, if Christ is not the Lord of your life, you're going to be clicking on and watching the news station there. and They're going to be saying, millions of people, around the earth have disappeared. The exact count we don't know as of yet. No trace of them anywhere. Except for their billabong clothes neatly piled upon their shoes.
1: <laughs>
0: day and the hour, we don't know, but it doesn't really scare us. doesn't matter what day or hour, because we're right with the Lord, right? doesn't matter if it's night or day doesn't matter what I'm doing because it's not gonna overtake us as a thief if you're ready now if you're not ready man they just stole my child someone just stole my wife it's gonna it's gonna be this taking away from you just like when somebody dies now we feel the loss the person who died is right with the Lord they don't feel any loss they got People up in heaven that they're just as close to as the family they were close to here on earth. When we get to heaven, we're going to be so equally close with everybody. Everybody's going to be just like our brother and our sister and our wife and our husband and our children are right now. And so, you know, uh, maybe the the family and the love she sensed here in heaven, she's sensing that a zillion times more. Then she even sensed it here because she was in imperfect flesh and we got upset with each other and impatient and unkind because of these human bodies we live in. Up there, that's not happening. So there's no loss for the person who dies. So the rapture is never going to take us as a thief because there's no loss for us, only gain. But the people who aren't ready. There is a great loss. And turning back to Revelations there, chapter 4, so after these things, after the rapture of the church, he says, during that time, there was a door standing open in heaven. I believe the Lord opened in the door for the believers to come to be with him. He says, I heard, which was like a loud trumpet, speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I'll show you these things which must take place. And we just read in that Thessalonians, he says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And so... There's going to be this sound and uh, immediately the believers are going to be gathered together to be with the Lord. And in verse 2, Immediately I was in the Spirit and behold a throne set in heaven and one set on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sarda stone in appearance and there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. And so again, you've got to realize that John is using human words to try to describe something spiritual, which is near impossible. Paul had a similar experience in uh, Thessalonians, and he actually there didn't even try. He says, "...it is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man," referring to himself, in Christ who fourteen years ago whether in the body I do not know whether out of the body I do not know God knows such a one was caught up to the third heaven and in the ancients mind earth was one level then the sky or under the earth was one level then the sky was another level and then heaven was considered the third level of heavens where God dwelt you know so he's describing to them being in heaven and I know such a man whether in the body or out of the body I do not know but God knows how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one I boast, yet of myself I will not boast except in my infirmities. And he goes on to to say there in that verse that he wouldn't even try to describe it. Well, John, thank goodness, is trying to describe it. Now, I felt so incapable... Of trying to describe the beauty of where I grew up. I grew up in Visalia, right at the foot of the sequoias and Yosemite. And people who haven't been there, they say, "Well, what's a life?" You know. And in their mind, they just picture some mountain with trees up there, and it gets cold, and deer's running around, and you know, there's no television, and you know, I got to go in an outhouse to the bathroom. And it's like, yeah, yeah, you know, I, I plan on going up there for a couple hours sometime, get in and out of there, and you know, so I don't get too uncomfortable. Can't use my blow dryer, you know. I don't really want to go. You know, and trying to describe to them. I, I used to go out in my backyard as a kid and just look up at these mountains that were just snow-topped and as far as I could see, it was back before the days of smog, And just as far as you could see were just rolling, white-topped mountains. I remember as a kid just sitting out there just awestruck and at night, just all the stars of the heavens it was almost like a sheet of just white sometimes. There were so many stars. To try to describe the waterfalls at Yosemite or Half Dome or try to describe the beauty and just the, the, the presence and the, the smells and the, the sounds of sequoia. It's just, you, you can't really do it. And so here you're in heaven and there's the throne of God. Now, there's a lot of kingdoms that thought their throne was pretty powerful. Nebuchadnezzar thought his throne was the throne of the world. And when he stood up and said, Look at all that I made, God shut his mouth and he became like an animal for seven years. And at the end of that time, he humbled himself and he says, As a man, he's accounted as nothing before God. His dominion is everlasting. His throne is without end. And so again we see the real throne that's running the world. And here John's describing it and he says, Man, it's there's Jasper and there were Sardis stones and you could just imagine the beauty of it. You know, you see people with these little tiny rings, you know, with a little tiny ruby in it or something. And they're like, Wow, isn't that beautiful? Well, let me look at it. Hold it, let me get it in the light over here, okay? Let me you know, I mean here's these humongous boulders. Of these beautiful stones no flaws in them (laughs) no feathers in them perfect stones and then of course the light of that place is brighter than the Sun for God himself is the light of that place we're going to find out in Revelations and so just imagine the light going through these different stones side by side these humongous boulder stones of just all the different prism colors it would make man can't wait to get there. And there was like a rainbow around the throne. Interesting, the word rainbow is the same word as halo. But yet the halo, you know, we have these little halos, little white things, you know. So it was probably like a a rainbow or a halo, but it was was probably many different colors. And again, it's neat how when God had flooded the world, and he said, I'm going to make a promise that I'll never destroy the world by water again. And he made a rainbow. Now, rainbows still blow my mind that they exist. Every time I see a rainbow, I feel like I'm at Disneyland or something and something that somebody's made, you know. Because it's just so mind-boggling. I think it can actually be up there in the sky. I remember saying, you know, at the bottom of the rainbows, there's a pot of gold. And I remember as a kid, this... Biggest rainbow I've ever seen yet. It was just humongous. And it's just like, it went out right into my uncle's cow pasture out when I lived in Arkansas. And it was just so big. We went out running in it, you know. And it's like, there was nothing there. But it did fall right on his prize heifer. And so uh, it is true. There's a pot of gold, but... It's not yours. (laughs) But it's so neat how God just probably said hey let's make a promise and just sort of whipped a little bit of that halo of his out into planet earth and just said hey every time you see that remember when I make a promise I keep it and so there's the promises of God represented as this halo around the throne and appearance as an emerald And around the throne were twenty-four thrones on the thrones I saw twenty-four elders sitting clothed in white robes and they had crowns of gold on their head now some people you know who are these elders or the word presbytery is actually the word "presbyter."s one little girl came home and went to a presbyterian church and said what did you learn she goes I learned today there's only 24 presbyterians that make it to heaven Who are these people? I'll tell you. It's not going to be people who got glory here. I think Billy Graham's wonderful. And because you and I think he's wonderful, it's probably one of the reasons he won't be on one of those stones, one of these thrones, because he's got a lot of his glory here. Billy Graham Ministries. Oh, man. That's no way to get rewards in heaven. I love him. I think he's awesome. I think the people who are probably going to get the highest positions in heaven are probably some janitor down here at the junior high school who just loves the Lord and prays for those little kids and nobody even knows that prays for their salvation and loves his wife and loves his kids and loves his grandkids and takes a pot of soup to his neighbor when they're sick and it's just a blessing to everybody who's around and just doesn't put himself first. And It's probably somebody that me and you don't even know by name, just a face in the crowd. But yet they live the life and they've been living the life day in and day out. Loving the brethren, ministering to the needs of the saints. Caring, loving, obeying God. In their closet, praying. In their closet, giving, not letting their right hand know what their left hand is doing. That's who it's going to be. We'll have to be introduced to him. It won't be Peter or John or James or Elijah or Moses. Man, these guys have got so much reward for the things they did through the years. Their names are in the Bible and we all esteem them highly. They've got a lot of glory here on earth for the things they did for the Lord. But there's a lot of people who aren't getting any glory on earth for living a radical Christian life. But yet it's the kind of life that doesn't get publicity. But it's the kind of life that serves and ministers and people get healed in their presence. And I believe that's the way Jesus was. Poor carpenter from a bad area of town, Nazareth. Born in a manger. Minister to the poor. Loved people, served people, and died on a cross. There's no doubt that the people who are the 24 elders are just the nobodies in this world who have lost their life in this world, but gain it in the life to come in a very royal and majestic way. There's the crowns of gold on their head. There's other kinds of crowns in the Bible. There's a crown of life the Bible talks about that a martyr gets. Also, James says the same crown of life, a person who has to go through extreme temptation will receive. After they've fought the temptation and didn't give into it, that they would receive a crown of life. There's some of you who have to fight much more temptation than others do. And it's actually the Lord giving you an opportunity to have a crown, a special crown of life. Then there's a crown of glory, which is actually given to ministers, people who are ministering for the Lord. And then there's the crown of righteousness for all believers. Paul says, and I'm going to receive one and all of those who love His appearing. So if you're a Christian who is... Walking by faith, you've surrendered your life to God and you're serving Him and you're day in and day out in the Word, and you just can't wait for the Lord to come back. I'll tell you what, He's got a crown waiting for you. Clothed in their white robes, representing the righteousness before the Lord. And then in verse 5, He goes on, and from the throne proceed lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne, there was a sea of glass like crystal. In the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and, and back. And again, you know, we're picturing these thoughts in our minds right now of what this is probably like. And if we are all to say draw a picture of it, it would probably be different and, and sort of weird looking. And uh, it even gets weirder in Verse 7. the first living creature was like a lion the second living creature like a calf the third living creature had a face like a man and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle and the four living creatures each having six wings full of eyes around and within and they do not rest day or night saying holy 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 lord god almighty who was and is and is to come now I don't know what our new bodies are going to be like, but I'll tell you, two eyes are a real bummer sometimes. There's so many things I miss out on. Look at that over there. What? Oh, it's too late. Oh man, see now if I had a couple eyes over there, I'd just say which eye. <laughs> Look out! I, you know, I eight. Ooh, there it is. Oh yeah, cool man. I could just drive and, you know, I could read the newspaper and and. Uh, do all kinds of stuff. So I admit it looks a little strange here, but you know, we could get used to that. The word for creature is the word zoe, which we get our word zoo from. So these aren't humans. These are different creatures. Six wings, Uh, you know, makes sense to me. The more the better. The lion look... Now, I could get into the lion look. You know, the old hair back. Deep, boisterous roar of a sound. I like that. But a calf... Oh, man, that that sounds like a bummer. That that guy got the raw end of the dill. The flying eagle creature, that that sounds pretty cool. Now, when we get up there, I'm sure these things are going to look probably a little different to each one of us. My wife in college, had a brown car. She still says it's green. I'm telling you, it was brown. Her dad says it was green. They're both wrong. It was a brown car. I don't know why they ever think that. And we used to stand there and look at that car, and I said, that's brown. She said it's dark green. Went to sell it. It was brown. Because I sold it. So, you know, when you look at different people, I grew up with a kid, and we called him Turtle, because his head looked like a turtle's head. His, Mom hated us calling him that. But he did. And I, so when we get up there, I don't know what these things are going to look like to each one of us, but John, again, is just seeing this radical vision, and God told him to write it down, and he's trying to write it down. It's going to be a really radical place. Seeing these things fly around the throne, and they're going to say, Holy, Holy, Holy... Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. We see in Isaiah chapter 6 a very similar picture. And there he tells us that if these creatures stopped saying holy, holy, holy that the place would be destroyed. So God is so awesome and he's so powerful in and of himself and he's so perfect and he's so great That his praises have to be constantly uttered. So just like us we have to have oxygen to breathe. And we say, isn't that a little vain, you always thinking you have to have oxygen? I think that's a very prideful thing, thinking you have to have oxygen. It's just like, hey, you know, it's just a reality. We have to have oxygen. When Jesus came riding in on the donkey, And the Pharisees came and said, hey, tell these guys to quit praising you. And Jesus said, hey, if they stopped, these rocks would start crying out. You would see a major earthquake taking place. You better let them praise me. And so in heaven, God's made these creatures just to keep the place from breaking apart. And in verse 9... Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the twenty-four elders fall down before Him who sits on the throne, worship Him who lives forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for You created all things, and by Your will they exist and were created. Again, right now, we're not serving the Lord for only the crown and the white robe and the blessings of heaven. It's really in our hearts. Now, the longer you're a Christian, the more you realize what a sinner you are. When I first said, Christ, forgive my sins and come into my life, I thought, yeah, you know, I need to get forgiveness. A few things need to be straightened out. But the more I learn of the perfectness and the holiness and the purity and... I just start seeing myself more clearly in light of God. And it's like, Lord, I'm almost having a hard time believing that you could forgive such a sinner as myself. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And there's no doubt when we stand before the Lord, the full impact of our unworthiness is going to hit us. God had done so much for us. And Jesus Christ, for a wretch like me, died on a cross with the pain and the torment and the torture. I should be burning in hell a hundred times over, but yet he took hell upon his own body for me. And now I'm going to be standing before him, looking at the scars in his hand, the scars in his head, the thorn or the, the spirit hole in his side. And we're going to be looking at the perfect Lamb of God. And we're going to be seeing these things saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And we're going to be standing there in His presence going, looking at the beauty of the place, sensing the presence of the place, knowing that this is my lot for eternity is to be in the presence of the Creator of all things. Seeing the real throne that governs everything. And we're going to go, what in the heck am I doing here? I should be in hell right now. And here I am, forgiven completely of all my sins in this beautiful white robe. And not only that, but I got a crown. Because he's giving me rewards for serving him. And man, I, I lived a horrible Christian life. I mean, and he thinks I served him great. He didn't, he's not even remembering all the screw-ups I did. He's just looking at all the things I did right. He's not balancing it out saying, well. You know, uh, you did some bad things here, good things here. Uh, here, here's a little ruby, you know. Go find it, it's over there on the ground somewhere. <laughs> he doesn't even do that. He just looks at all the things we did right and says, Wow, look at all the things you did right. Awesome. Man, let me bless you. And our minds are just going to be blown when we see the the revelation and the full impact of being in heaven with the Lord forever and ever. A lot of people have a hard time with the fact that there is a heaven and there is a hell and a second coming of the Lord. Although most people believe Jesus is coming back. Matter of fact, the last poll that was taken, 62% of this particular poll here in America, 62% of the people believe that Jesus Christ was coming back. 62% also believe that Jesus was God. But only 40% of those people said they are certain that they are born again and are going to be with the Lord. 22% of the people, although they are certain that the Lord is coming back, 22% said, I'm not ready. I don't think they realize what they're going to be missing out on. I don't think they understand what exactly they are going to be if they don't receive that one way of escape. God has made us to worship Him, to know Him, but also God's made us to bring Him pleasure. And you say, hold on, hold on here, man. That sounds a little egotistical. Well, hold on. We're created in the image of God. And being created in the image of God, we also have an intense... Now, you don't use that word lightly, an intense desire to create. When you ladies get a new house or a new apartment, immediately, man, you start thinking, how can I make this house a home? Some of you guys, when you see some wood, you're just thinking, man, what can I build with this? See a piece of paper and a pen? I want to write something on it. Can't leave that piece of paper blank. Got to put something on it. It's hard to find a blank piece of paper in my house, my kids. It's like, ah, blank piece of paper, ah, let's go for it, you know. But we also have an intense desire to create life. If you're a woman here today, there is this incredible craving to give birth. All you know is going to be painful. It doesn't matter. Married couples, they just desire to see a life. Now, when we bring that life into the world, what do we say? Oh, well, now that it's here, who cares? Stick the thing in the corner. No, our, our desire is to raise this life up. In what way? To bring us pleasure. To bring other people pleasure. And so we find that God has made the world, as He says, to receive glory and honor and power. That He created all things, and it was for His good pleasure... In the, in the Old King James it says, for his good pleasure they were created and that they exist. And so God wants man to know him. That's the reason he made it. That's why he walked daily in the garden with Adam and Eve. And it totally pierced God's heart when he had to separate himself from Adam and Eve. He hated that. He immediately says, hey, you can do a blood sacrifice and we can keep a, a fellowship. Since you are spirit, he breathed, into that dirt, the breath of life. And it says, Adam became a living being. And the word there, ruach, is used three times. The word he breathed is the word for spirit. Into him life, and he became a living being. The word spirit, again, man's a living spirit. And so God says, if you'll do this sacrifice once a year, we can still communicate from spirit to spirit but physically I can't be with you. I mean, even in heaven, i got to have these things flying around me singing holy, holy, holy or the whole place would break apart. No man can see God and live. He'd die immediately. And so God wants you to know Him. And the reason, if you're here tonight and don't know the Lord, it's because of your sin. Your sin has separated you from God. It hardens your heart. It numbs you. It makes you evil. It makes you want more lust, more covetous. We never get it in. The eye is never full. The flesh is never satisfied, Solomon says. And he had 300 wives, 700 concubines. And uh, he had cities upon cities just to put his horses. He had 12 lions on each side of his throne. The guy was totally obsessive personality. His whole house was made of gold and ivory and Unreal. After all of that, he said, it's all vanity. Your flesh will never be filled up. The reason you're trying to get that new car, and get that house, and get that new relationship, you're trying to fill that void in your life. And nothing is going to fill that void in your life until you know God and you begin bringing Him pleasure. Now, there's some of you here tonight, and you are Christians. And there is this emptiness even in your life. And you say, well, I know God. Well, it doesn't stop there. God didn't bring you just to know him. How would you like, you know? here's my kid, and all they do is know me. Yeah, I know that guy, he's my dad. That's it. And all of life is just, oh yeah, he knows me and I know him, that's it. We never talk, we never do anything together. How stupid, how ridiculous. I mean, there should be an intimacy there. The whole idea is that God could bring us pleasure and that we would bring God pleasure. And we find that is by living life the way he made it. How do the birds and the trees and all the things in the world make him bring in pleasure? He says, here bird, create after your own kind, be fruitful and multiply. He didn't give that bird a free will. It just, to this day, is up there bringing fruitful and multiply as he can. Same with the tree. Here you are. Make more trees after your kind. Be fruitful and multiply. And so it's happening. All creation is going in the same route that God has set it in the very first day of creation. Man, you got a free will. And so man has not followed the plan of God. And so there's all kinds of different people in the world and all kinds of destructive diseases and all kinds of hurtful things in the world. And God wants you to come back in line to that narrow way that leads to life. The Bible says, on top of it all, Satan's here to try to twist everything up. He's here to kill, steal, and destroy. But Christ came that we might have life and that we'd have it abundantly. And I'll tell you right now, my desire is to bring God pleasure. To bring Him pleasure in worship, to bring Him pleasure by knowing His Word. I know that brings Him pleasure if I know Genesis to Revelations. It brings Him pleasure when I walk in the Spirit and I live a life of joy and of peace and of patience and of kindness and of goodness and self-control. Nobody bats a thousand. We have good days and bad days and good weeks and bad weeks and good months and bad months and good years and bad years and maybe you've been backsliding from the Lord. You know Him. But you've been having a time where you haven't been bringing in pleasure. The Bible tells us to repent that times of refreshing may come. Because... As much as God loves us, He allows you to make your choice and your choice remains with you. So in your year of not walking with the Lord, you went out and you got a big tattoo of a mermaid and flex your muscle and she wiggles her tail or something. Well, you can repent tonight, but that tattoo is still going to be on your arm. Now that's just a physical scar. But what about the scar you did to your wife and to your children? What about the scar... You have in your heart. Because of the destruction and the misery you're bringing around you. You don't want to keep going in that way. You want to repent. You want to turn around. Have a godly sorrow. Lord, help me to hate my sin. If you don't hate it, help me to hate it. You say I should hate this and I don't. Help me, God. Help me to get back on that right road. Because I know I need to know you, but I also need to bring pleasure to you. That's why you made all things according to your good pleasure. That's the reason they're here and they exist. Let's pray.